Hey, Internet. Welcome to the Fresh Nap Peas in a podcast. It's Joey and Katie Alvarez. Two Fresh Nap Peas in a podcast. Two Fresh Nap Peas in a podcast. So this week, we've got three movies that we checked out for you guys, along with a little bit extra stuff afterwards if you want to stick around. So, Katie, what's the first movie that we watched? This weekend, we went and saw Ralph Breaks the Internet. I thought it was really funny, and I thought it was probably the best out of the three movies we saw. Yeah, out of the three movies, I think that it was the top two. It, I think it was right in the middle for me, honestly. All of the characters were super cute. I was very surprised about the ending because I had seen a lot of pictures related to this movie but didn't realize that they were related to it. And so I was very surprised to see some of the characters that were kind of surprising and you don't necessarily associate with uh, the first Wreck-It Ralph movie. It was pretty fun to see all of these characters come together to achieve a common goal. I thought it was pretty neat, too, that because there were so many other characters and places that they took this movie, it's kind of a standalone movie. You don't necessarily have to see the first one to go and enjoy Ralph Breaks Internet. Yeah, and a big part of what made this movie so separate was they make a constant point of saying that this movie is six years later than the last one. They're always like, we've been friends for six years now. And they keep coming back to that point And you're like, wow, that is a long time to skip ahead in the story to think that, you know, this didn't happen right after the events of the previous movie. And I think that made it feel more standalone and separate and easier to watch by itself. Because... I don't know about you, but I didn't go back and watch the first movie before we went and saw it. Did you? I didn't. I also thought that it was really interesting how the movie went into a bunch of different types of relationships. In Disney movies, a lot of times you have a relationship that the movie goes into or talks about, whether it's romantic or sibling or whatever the case may be. I thought it was interesting how this movie kind of spanned different relationships throughout the movie. Yeah, and I don't feel like there was even necessarily a lot of romance in it. I think that it focused a lot on a lot of different kinds of relationships than romantic relationships. And I thought that that was interesting to get into. Um, you know, it kind of makes me think of Frozen, how that kind of had the love elements, but it focused on, like, the sisters and, like, their lack of friendship and, like, moving towards each other. I feel like this movie kind of had character, a lot of characters with a lot of strong uh, relationships already, and you got to see how those strong relationships were kind of tested and grew to be, you know, better than how they started out. Uh, one other thing that I would mention about this movie that I noticed and I don't know if you saw this as much, but it didn't focus as much on the references to, like, old video games. There were, um, like, brief mentions of, like, past characters, but they were all the same characters that they referenced in the first movie. And then this one really focused on a lot of references to like internet culture and internet fame that are more common to 
youth of today versus, you know, when I watched the first Wreck-It Ralph movie, I felt like there was a lot in it for me, despite the fact that I was not, you know, necessarily a Disney movie going uh, age at the time. I feel like there were a lot of video game references to, you know, classic video games like Sonic and Hubert and a whole bunch of stuff like that. And there wasn't as much of that in this movie as much as there was like references to Tumblr and Twitter and Facebook. I thought that as someone who is not a video game player, the first movie was great. I thought it was hilarious. Um, I really did appreciate internet and how they showed or depicted really internet um, in this movie. I think that it is a unique way for people to really understand kind of how the internet works, being able to see the characters go in and interact and interface, per se, with the internet and see how things work or don't work. And I think there were some relatable moments in this movie, too, especially with people getting bumped off of the internet for random reasons, and I... You know, as someone who has had trouble with um, bad internet connections in the past, with problems with our internet service provider here, um, it was just very relatable to see the real people's reactions in the world to getting bumped off the internet because of who knows why. Yes, I thought it was really interesting with the random people getting bumped off the internet. I also thought it was really funny how they showed people's reactions to different things on the internet. At one point, the characters are trying to reach a goal and they have to do things on the internet and you get to see all these different people and ways that they react to things on the internet. So at least for me, that's everything I have to say about this movie without really getting into, like, spoiler territory. Was there anything else that you wanted to add before we give our initial score if there's anybody here who wants to maybe go see the movie before... They get the spoilers. I don't think so. I think we're ready for our pee pod review. <laughs> How many pee pods would you give this, Joey? How many pee pods are we doing out of pee pods? What, what is the maximum number of pee pods that something can receive? Eight pee pods. Eight pee pods? Yep. Is it eight pee pods or is it eight peas in a pod because that would be a pretty intense uh, snap pea situation with eight peas in it i'm gonna go with eight pea pods okay i think i would give this movie five and a half pea pods out of eight how about you i think i liked it a little bit more than that i really appreciated as someone who understands internet a little bit less than the average joe I really appreciated the movie and thought it was really funny. So I would give it six out of eight. Mostly because there are movies out in the world that I enjoy more than Ralph Breaks the Internet. However, I did really enjoy the movie on a Saturday afternoon. So Joey, what was the second movie we saw? The second movie that we went and saw this weekend was Mary Poppins returns dun 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 so i personally loved her in the role of mary poppins i thought that she loved playing the character and i think that her relationship with the family and how she returns really was unique and cool to see 
However, I did not enjoy it as much as you did. So yeah, what do you true. have to say? Even before Mary Poppins comes uh, floating back on into their lives, I just felt that the movie was extremely relatable where they have all of this craziness that's going on in the house. They can't quite seem to get themselves together and it all culminates. And I'm not going to say this is a spoiler because this is like the first 10 minutes of the movie where the lawyers show up at the house and they tack on the front door that um, the house is being foreclosed on by the bank, that they're going to seize the house because they've fallen behind on their payments. You know, this is the kind of onus for the whole film to give the characters a goal of we need to keep the house because it's been in our family and it's the same house from, you know, the original uh, Mary Poppins film. You know, they've got this whole idea that they need to keep this house despite it, you know, breaking down underneath of their feet at the very beginning of the movie. And so I just found that extremely relatable with being the millennials that we are dealing with the money that we're dealing with. I was just invested from the get-go in, uh, you know, what these characters were dealt to start this movie off with and, you know, where they go from there. I thought that it was intriguing how they had a lot of the same characters. Um, not necessarily the same characters playing the same roles, but they had a lot of the same roles that were being fulfilled within this movie. Um, however, I thought that because it is a return movie, we only did see one or two characters that actually had played in the first movie. We only had a few things that came from the original Mary Poppins. And there were all of these teasers that made my brain think, oh, it's going to be this song, or it's going to be this character that's about to come up, and then that wasn't the thing. That's what kind of left me wanting with this movie. And I think it's funny because for me... I felt the opposite way where all of the teasers were like nice callbacks to the original movie. And I remember saying after, you know, our evening was over that I was glad that I hadn't gone back and watched the first movie. So I would put this in the same category as Ralph Breaks the Internet, where you really don't need to see the first movie to get everything out of it that you're going to get. So long as you've seen it before at some point, everything will kind of come back to you. And I thought that the callbacks were kind of dressing on top of a movie that I already thought was really good. You know, when those little things would play, I'd be like, oh, that's really nice. Like, it reminds me of this. And then it would lead into something new and something that I thought was just as good. I enjoyed the music. I enjoyed the characters. I think that there were moments that it reminded me a lot of the original movie. And there were moments that were way better than the original movie to me. Well, I think I'm ready to give it a rating without spoilers. What about you? Yeah, let's go ahead and do it. All right, so I would give Mary Poppins Returns a 4.5 Peapod out of 8. What about you, Joey? I would give this one 7 out of 8 Peapods. I enjoyed it a lot more than you did. And I would put it up there as a movie that I would definitely watch again, probably multiple times in my life. I really enjoyed this one. I wouldn't necessarily not see it again. I just don't think I would be like, oh, yeah, let's go see that. If someone else was like, hey, let's watch this tonight, I wouldn't be against it. 
Okay, so for the third movie this weekend, we saw Welcome to Marwin. And this was definitely the weird movie. I would like to start it off with when we went back again and again and again to get our tickets for the movies. The person at the ticket counter recognized me. She served me all three times. And when I went to go get my third ticket, she was like, oh, you saw the first two movies. Which one did you like better? And I told her and she's like, oh, you know, this one's a little bit weird. We'll see how you like this one. And sure enough, it was definitely a very different movie. I wouldn't say that I didn't like it. It was just very different. And it was very different after seeing two, per se, children's movies. Just a different mindset to put yourself in. This one definitely was not uh, made for the kiddos. Do not take them to the theater for this movie. I can't remember what it was rated. But, um, you know, there's definitely moments of nudity in especially in drawings and in the form of dolls and so this was very strange to kind of you know wrap your head around as you're watching it i don't i don't know how to say what i'm thinking it was just weird (laughs) i thought it was really interesting because it is like almost a war movie they talk about world war ii a lot in the movie However, it comes out that it really has nothing to do with a war fought on a battleground with the armed forces. I think it's more of a psychological war movie. Um, But it's very interesting. I think it's very pertinent and things that people go through in this day and age more than I think the average person would realize. I thought it was a really interesting way that they depicted him coping with his mental illness. Yeah, and I think one of the redeeming qualities about this movie was the same thing that I really liked about Mary Poppins, that I found it very relatable in certain ways, where some of the stuff that he was dealing with, although he was dealing with it in such an extreme sense, I felt like I could relate to his character and to the way that he was feeling in certain moments Um, you know, having dealt with uh, anxiety and things in my life, being able to see how he was either coping or uh, failing to cope with those feelings that he was going through. Definitely, I saw some of the things that I had gone through in my past in uh, the way that he went through those. I think it was a really interesting movie for someone who is a person that works with mental illness to see and see how coping and not coping and how someone's uh, brain state might depict certain things. I thought it was a very interesting depiction of his mental illness. I thought it was a really interesting depiction of um, how he views his supports or lack thereof, how he views the good guys, the bad guys, Um, As well as just how he views his medication in general. I think that is something that we kind of neglect to think about um, with people who are on meds or thinking about taking meds. I thought it was a really interesting, just an interesting viewpoint to see in a movie theater on a random Saturday. Not at all what I expected. Yeah, and the other thing that I would say about 
um, you know, his mental state and something that was interesting that came across in the film and something that I related to a lot was the fact that he was an artist. Um, you know, a lot of the way that um, what he's going through in his brain is portrayed in the movie is through his art. Um, and although his art is very different than the type of art that I do, whereas like I'm a musician and like a filmmaker sometimes, but um, you know, a lot of what I do is not, uh, as visual all the time, whereas his was extremely visual, um, but very different than you would expect. Um, you know, I found that something that I really connected to and latched onto in the movie, and it's really what kept me engaged throughout the whole thing, was that his art was portraying what was going on in his mind, but as an outsider, you're seeing his art as a reflection of what's going on in reality, and that's not necessarily the case. And that's something that he has to come to grips with as well, that he sees his art similar to his reality, but there's a big discrepancy there that comes up at the very, like, towards the three-quarter mark of the movie, um, that he has to, you know, a big hurdle that he has to come over and realize that, uh, what he sees in his art isn't what's gonna happen in his real life. I think in this movie, too, I found it really interesting because there were just so many different things going on in the movie all at the same time, and it was, it wasn't different storylines, just so many different parts of the story were going on and bouncing back and forth and trying to realize what is reality, what is his depiction of reality, what is, who are these people that are coming in and out of the picture really quickly, who are the people that are actually sticking around, what do they mean to him, what do they mean to the story, what do they mean to us as the viewers. And especially in the moments when he's in extreme mental duress how the lines between his reality and his art kind of blur and how as the viewer that gets confusing you know to watch because it's not separate stories but it can seem that way in moments but then the lines between them blur so much when he finds himself in extremely uh anxiety ridden situations it gets just to be very hard to tell the difference between what seems like two stories and then you realize by the end of the movie that it really is just one overarching story that has one main character, not two different main characters. You know, Joey, the more I think about this movie, the more I think I realized that I liked it than I thought right when I walked out. Now that I've had time to think about it and really think about what was going on and put the pieces together... I think I actually like this one better than Mary Poppins. Did you really? I think so. I would give Welcome to Marwin a 6 out of 8. For this one, I would say mostly because of the way that I felt kind of weird about the way that they portrayed nudity in this film. I'm going to have a hard time going back and watching it again. I would give this 4 out of 8. 
when I was giving it a rating, I wasn't even thinking about the nudity just because while it was there, it was passed over pretty quickly most of the time. When it was actually, like, really prevalent, I feel like it was more in doll form. And to me, like, I grew up playing with Barbies, like... And I work with kids, so there's naked dolls all the time while kids are doing whatever. So it didn't really phase me as much. Yeah, I think it was just the cl- the closeness of the link between the dolls and the characters in the film that I think made it hard for me to kind of disengage from those moments. Like, it felt like just very weird for me, but... The male perspective, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Hey guys, we're about to spoil the movies, so if you really do not want to hear in-depth details about the movies... Please turn us off now and revisit us next week. So with Ralph Breaks the Internet, I like how at the beginning of the movie, we get this conundrum of one best friend is happy with things exactly how they are and only wants, out of everything in his whole life, just more time with his friend. While Princess Vanellope wants more excitement, more of that traveling itch, more differentness in her life and it's interesting too because ralph takes this idea of trying to be a good friend for her and really you know he tries to make a new track for her and that causes all of the problems to start the game breaks so vanellope is put out of house and home and they have to figure out some way to find her a new home or fix her old home. You know, that's a big theme of this whole movie is that Ralph is trying to be a really good friend, thinks he's being a really good friend, and then realizes that he's just needy and has to overcome that. And Vanellope doesn't know how to help him do that. And so that's kind of a lot of what this movie is about. I feel like it's an interesting like depiction of like introvert versus the extrovert. Um, wanting to go travel and seeing the world, wanting to stay at home and just have things what he sees as perfect. Um, I think it's really interesting also how they depict different generations after Ralph breaks her game and they introduce Wi-Fi. The guy's like, okay, I need to fix the game. It's going to be expensive. And the teenager's like, well, let me just search eBay and finds the piece to fix her game within a minute. I think another, like, really funny moment in this movie is to put even more in that kind of generational gap where the characters in the movie, you know, from the arcade games definitely represent, like, an older generation, but also, like, a childish playfulness where when they're bidding on the steering wheel at one point they don't realize that they're bidding actual money. And so it's like this, you know, kind of older person mentality of, like, not understanding the internet, but at the same time, they're, like, so childish and youthful about it, and it's just so funny to see kind of... Those two things kind of collide, and especially as the audience knowing what eBay is and knowing that they're bidding actual money and all of a sudden to be able to get this steering wheel, they're going to have to come up with some ridiculous sum of money and they don't know how to get money. They're 
cartoon characters from video games from, you know, the 80s. They don't know how to make money or do anything like that, and they don't realize that they just put themselves in an even deeper hole than they already were in. I think the idea that they... So once they're in eBay, we've kind of gone past this idea of now they're in Wi-Fi, now they're in the internet. And they have... Like, the way this movie depicts internet, to my mind, is so cool. I like how they go into this cavernous, never-ending space, and there's actual landing posts for each website and each place where you can go. There's eBay, there's their version of Snapchat, their version of Twitter, their version of Pinterest. And, you know, they're in these little cars and each person on their computer is going from place to place. And now we're having Ralph and Vanellope and they're trying to make their money the way they need to going to whatever places they need to go to. Another thing that I really liked about the way that this movie depicted the internet was when Ralph becomes kind of a a Vine or Instagram star where he's... Insta-famous. Yeah, he's insta-famous, and he's making all of these short little videos of himself and copying all of the trends to try and get as many hearts as he can so that he can convert those hearts into money. And, like, the the saddest, like, hardest realization when he accidentally wanders into the comments room and he starts reading them and he realizes that there's people that really like his videos and then slowly he starts to see all of the hate comments coming in and he starts to, you know, take it in, like, personally and then he looks down and he sees the heart cookie that Vanellope gave him that he's her hero and he realizes, you know, like the true value of friendship and that he's doing this all for her. Like that was just a really like heart wrenching moment for me to see how he was going to see those comments. And his reaction to that was amazingly mature to me, despite the fact that his relationship and the way that he treated his relationship with Vanellope wasn't quite there. Like, he knew that he needed to count on the people that were in his life, but he, you know, didn't know how to do that in the best way. So my, one of my heart pulls for this movie was when, so I grew up on Disney princesses. I love the Disney princesses. And one of my heart pulls was when Vanellope ends up in the Disney princess dressing room and they're talking about how a lot of them end up gazing into some meaningful body of water and singing and they find their heart song because they're able to sing about what they really want. And so Vanellope then goes around trying to find some body of water, even though she doesn't think that's her, so that she can figure out what she really wants in life. And so you see this girl who's completely out of place trying to find something she doesn't even truly believe in just so that she can figure out what she really wants and why isn't what she thinks she wants working in her heart song place. Um, and I, like, it really pulled on my heart to think of this girl just 
trying to find what she wants and what she needs, which led to my next really heart pull when Ralph overhears a conversation and she's, you know, being torn. Like, I really want to stay, but I want to do what's best for my friend and my friend thinks I need to go, but I want to stay. And how do I tell my friend what I want isn't necessarily what he wants. And I think that really is what boils down to this movie. Like, how does everyone get what's best for them and still remain friends? Yeah, as much as that moment was, you know, tugging on the heartstrings a little bit to see Ralph's reaction to hearing this from Vanellope, it did seem, I mean, and I think this is fair, it seemed like a little bit of an ass pull that he was trying to call her and it accidentally picks up and is accidentally on mute. Like, all of that stuff was just very contrived to me and took away from the moment a little bit. For sure. I mean, it's hardly even likely that that would happen. However, I think that is a really today's day and age type of way, other than, like, being behind the character and the character not realizing they were there to depict that he did hear that conversation that wasn't meant for him to hear. True. Going back to the Disney princess room, I just want to say that I was super impressed with the way that they depicted all of the Disney princesses. That's what I was talking about in the first part, that there are all of these characters that come together. All of the Disney princesses work together with Vanellope and with Ralph to be able to um, you know, save him in the end of the movie and seeing them all come back. You know, it was surprising for me to see them all on screen the first time. And then it was even more surprising for them to all come around the second time and be, you know, badasses saving a guy who was in need. And like, that was the big, you know, kind of joke. But at the same time, it was kind of an emotional moment too, to see all of them working together and to see all of them being just so awesome and like knowing that even in their original movies, they were super awesome too. But like to see them, you know, stand up for this kind of, um, you know, female empowerment vision of like, we're going to save the dude this time was just funny, but also emotional and, you know, really edifying. Like, I just like that a lot. One of my favorite parts about the princesses is that right now athleisure is such a thing and so when Penelope stumbles into the dressing room and all of the Disney princesses are in there you know first thing you think of gown um she's in her you know leggings and a hoodie with a little tutu and they're like where did you get that gown it looks so comfortable and then you fast forward a couple scenes and all of the Disney princesses are in their own athleisure getup and each one is tuned to their own movie. They each have their own like meme or gif or picture with a phrase about their own movie. And then fast forward to the end where they're all saving the guy and again they're in a different athleisure uniform with different sayings and things on their shirts and my brain is just like this is so cool and they made the princesses come back in this day and age and made we went from the ball gowns which were great and all the little girls wanted to be in their ball gowns to they are still pertinent today and they could still be cool wearing whatever they want to wear 
Yeah, and I think they did a good job of mixing in things that, you know, the grown-ups will enjoy that are going to see this movie along with the things that the kids will enjoy. And, you know, giving some empowering messages to youth, but also messages that, you know, as adults we need to remember about our friendships and, like, the way that we should treat our friends and the way that we should communicate with our friends and knowing that, um, you know, the more that we put off hard conversations, the harder that they're going to get. You really need to kind of rip the Band-Aid off, and that's really what a lot of the problems that come across in this movie are, is that they continue to put off those hard conversations. And then when they finally have those conversations, you know, they are still able to be friends. They're be like able to move past those hard um, moments, those emotional moments, and, you know, see each other for who they are and who they want to be. Everyone gets what's best for them in the end. And while change isn't necessarily comfortable, it's still good. And, you know, everyone's able to find their happy place in the end. I totally agree. One last thing to mention, and I don't, I'm assuming that you picked up on this, but I don't remember talking about it after the movie. Um, When all of the copies of Ralph, and this is how the internet got broken, was that the virus gets out into the internet and makes a copy of the most insecure thing, and it happens to be Ralph because he doesn't want to let go of Vanellope. And then there's all of these copies of Ralph, and they all make this big, giant ralph blob thing and it is so reminiscent of king kong on top of the skyscraper and he's holding vanellope and the whole thing is just like it was so emotional the way that they went through it but at the same time there was just something in the back of my head that wanted to laugh the whole time just because it is such a perfect homage to you know, the film King Kong and the way that the movie portrays the the emotions is so serious, but it's just so funny to see a giant amalgam Ralph holding Vanellope and on top of a skyscraper. It was just, like, almost funny, but it was too emotional to be laughing at it, and I, like, was conflicted about how to feel. I was more in my emotions at that point. I'm not gonna lie. I was more like... I can't believe that the insecurity that they grouped on was him being an insecure person and oh my heart. But looking back on it, I do agree. I have seen seen King Kong. I do agree that there are many similarities. It was it was a definite homage, purposeful homage. And like there were just so many moments like that throughout the movie that it was funny but also emotional. And so you can kind of come at it from either perspective. If you're looking for a comedy or if you're looking for something to get... All the heart feels. Yeah, all of the heart feels. There's something for everybody in this movie, and you can watch it or read it either way that you want to. So if you watch this movie and you felt really emotional the first time, go back and watch it and just think about how funny all of these homages and things are, and you'll get something new out of it. So Mary Poppins returns. She sure does. I just think about how much I love that they were in the old house. I loved how all of the characters were just like, 
oh, Mary Poppins, hey, instead of, like, who is this crazy woman? I liked how in the end they drew back to how adults always forget things, kind of like the magic of Christmas and the magic, all these other, like, magic things in other movies, how, you know, once the magic is over, adults quickly forget. Um, I like how the chimney sweep who now does lanterns in this movie. He's like, Mary Poppins, I'll never forget at the very end. However, it's going to get me. Hardly any of the songs were played in this movie. Hardly, if any of them, were in this movie. Yeah, to be fair, none of the songs from the original movie appear in Mary Poppins Returns. It's all original songs there are moments where the strings start off a song and it sounds like you know the song from the original movie and then it leads you know melodically into whatever the new song is and i think that's kind of what you were talking about every time i wanted the other song and yeah don't get me wrong the songs were great. They really were. I just had, like, because it started off with the songs from the first movie, I wanted those songs. And I kind of, like, put this sad tint on the movie for me because it wasn't. It wasn't. But it's a sequel. It's not the first. And it was a really good sequel. And I think that they did a really good job at, you know, bringing back the feeling of watching Mary Poppins, of the way that they, um, you know, shot the film, the way that all of the scenes looked, the way that they did the dancing with the Learys as opposed to the chimney sweeps, the way that they did the animation with um, the pot, uh, the way that they did the scene going into the bathtub... You know, I all of those scene, the bathtub was so cool. Yeah, all of those moments really call back to things that happened in the original Mary Poppins movie. Like the way that they did the animation, especially you know when they were in the Voss, like on the the ceramic and everything, it called back so much to like the scenes with um, the penguins and like that whole supercalifragilisticexpialidocious uh, song, the way that all of the animation was depicted in that, I feel like, and I don't know this for certain, but they had to have gone back and done the animation the same way because the way that the animation and the live-action mix just felt exactly the same to me. And so it was just... You know, like you said, it was different than the original, but it felt like a true sequel because it had all of the same cinematography elements in it. And the story was told in a similar formula. So, like, you could relate back to, you know, all of the ways that they did the graphics and the way that they did the special effects in the original film, they went back and just did everything the same way. Even the topsy-turvy scene was so reminiscent to me of the scene where they're laughing and they're floating up into the air in the original movie. Like, the way that it's shot and the way that they do the special effects looks and feels the same way, which I thought was just you know, helped me get so into the movie and, like, 
you know, so into what was going on on screen and relating it back to the movie and not feeling like I was missing anything because I wasn't getting what was in the original. Like, if I want to watch the original, I'll go back and watch the original. And I could totally see watching these two back to back, but especially seeing this movie for the first time and not having gone back and watched Mary Poppins, you know, the original movie, it just was very... Like, it was very reminiscent for me. It made me think about the original movie a lot, but I didn't feel like I was missing anything the way that you did. I feel like I almost would have preferred not have seen ha- not have seen seen the first movie and have this as a standalone because as the as opposed to Ralph and Wreck-It Ralph where you know it plays off of each other but they're different and they could stand alone with their own story they play well they are they could you could see the one without the other. Or you could see the second one without having gone back and seen the first for Mary Poppins. I feel like because they play off of each other so much, I was just like that yearning feeling was there more. And if I hadn't seen it or if I hadn't thought about the original Mary Poppins so much before going into seeing, seeing the second one, I might have appreciated it more. So just to be clear, are you saying that Wreck-It Ralph and Ralph Wrecks the Internet are more interplayed than Mary Poppins and Mary Poppins Returns or vice versa? Vice versa. Yeah, I think that that's true. I think that the characters that they chose to have return in Mary Poppins Returns with the two adults being the kids from the original movie, you really couldn't get as much out of the second one without having ever seen the first one. I feel like young kids coming to this movie for the first time without ever having seen Mary Poppins might not find the same enjoyment and might be a little bit confused by the way that the characters interact. You know, Mary Poppins comes into their life and it would be very confusing having not seen the first one to understand why the dad's sister, you know, was so on board for Mary Poppins coming back in without understanding how she affected their lives and like the dad is coming at it from the like money perspective and the sister is coming at it from the we wouldn't be the people we are today if we hadn't had her in our lives which i think plays back to uh, many times how it is in today's day and age men are more logical and women are more relational and so you get to see that in the movie where the dad's t- thinking about money, thinking about his job, thinking about, oh my gosh, how are we going to make things work? And the woman is like, the- there are so many things that the kids will learn and gain from having Mary Poppins in their life. We gained so many things from having Mary Poppins in our life. We might not remember the magic that happened, but we remember the impact she had. So one thing I do want to ask you about this movie before we move on, which song do you think was the most memorable for you? Because I feel like I know which one you would pick, but now I'm really curious if I'm right or not. There's three songs that really stick out to me still, one of which I knew, no, you didn't like as much. Um, I really liked the Leary song, both at the beginning and when they're lost later in the movie. 
I also really liked the bathtub song. However, I do think my favorite and my least favorite all at the same time was the penguin song. When they're in the porcelain pot and the penguins are on their shoulders and they're talking about how a story is not the cover and you have to read the book and there's the penguins and the kids and the wolves and the whole story. I really liked that song. It was reminiscent. It wasn't the first song. However, it was still a really good song. It was really fun. It was, you know, it brought me in. I remember it. I like it. So which one of those did you think that I didn't like? You, after we saw the movie, you said you didn't like the Leary song because it was sad or slow or something. Like the very first yes, song? The very yeah, the first very song. first song I felt like didn't do a good job of portraying how the rest of the movie was going to feel. It was very, um, I don't know, almost melancholy. Like it got me feeling a little bit sad before we even got into the movie and then the rest of it... Um, you know, there were moments where it was down, but it tended to, it tended towards more of an upbeat, and then especially in the end, and really, the song that I thought that you were going to say, and I think the song that, you know, after having, you know, sat with the way that the movie made me feel for a little bit now, um, you know, the song that I think left the most impact for me was the song at the very end of the movie, where they have the balloons and they're kind of floating away. The book song, I thought, was really, really engaging and really interesting and, like, super funny. There were funny moments in it. And it reminded me, um, especially when the Leary was doing the the long story, it reminded me almost of Godspell a little bit. And, um... You know, I really love that film a lot, and I relate to it a lot just because of, you know, our religious background along with, like, my kind of sentimentality for, you know, show tunes and things. So, like, the fact that it kind of brought me back to that place was just, like, really great. But, like, the very end of the movie, I definitely got very emotional with it, and, you know, it took me to... New heights as they floated away on their balloons. <laughs> I see what you did there. But I think I see the first song differently. You talk about how you thought it was too sad. I feel like at the beginning of the song, or the beginning of the movie, you hear this song, you are in this sadder place, and then it sets the tone of saying that they are in a depression era. It is after the war. It is what, you know, lots of people are losing homes. They don't have a lot of money. They are in this sadder place. And then right after that, they flip into this family is so busy. They literally shut the door in the lawyer's faces multiple times that are coming to repossess their home because they're so busy with what's going on in their house. You know, I think it's interesting that you mentioned the time period because for me... This film didn't feel like as much of a period piece. Like, there were moments where you could feel it, but at the same time, it was not, like, harped on as much, I feel like. Whereas in the original film, I felt like it was, 
like very clearly historical. Whereas this movie, like there were definite moments that made it feel that way, but there were also so many moments that took you so like made it feel so timeless that it could be any time at all. And I really didn't, you know, feel myself in that time period as much. I get that. I just feel like that was their opportunity to kind of put you in that place, to put you, this is where it was. This is, these are the kids that grew up from the first movie. We are still, you know, coming back from the ashes of right after the war. We are still having money issues. We are still trying to figure out how to make a living and feed two, three kids. I forgot about the saddest song in the movie until we started talking about this. And I literally cried when the dad was in the attic and he was singing the song to the mom who's passed away. And that was so emotional. I just remembered that. And now I want to go back and listen to that song because it was just really good and like got me right, right in the feels. And it, I guess now that I'm thinking about it, the beginning of the movie was much more melancholy and it really does pick up once Mary Poppins is, you know, kind of in full swing doing her uh, nannying thing and they go into the bathtub. Like the movie really picks up from there. I concede your point. Thank you. (laughs) I feel like that's an accomplishment. So moving from that accomplishment to a movie that I feel like is more my tune with the mental health piece, welcome to Marwin. Well, before we get started from this one, you've mentioned twice now that you're more involved with the mental illness side of things. Did you want to mention a little bit what that means to you and where you're coming from professionally? So I am a social worker. I work with kids. I've worked with kids pretty much my whole life. I, however, come from a mental illness background. I studied mental illness. Both myself and Joey have dealt with anxiety in our lives. Um, So, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, we do have a relational aspect of we can see where he's coming from in this movie that we're about to talk about. However, because I am a social worker... I do have a background of understanding mental illness, understanding medication, understanding really how coping mechanisms and anxiety and different disorders, uh, specifically in Welcome to Marwin, they talk a lot about PTSD, how those things really affect a person. And so it's interesting how in Welcome to Marwin, we see all these different viewpoints of how he sees his illness as well as how all these other people in his life. And just to give you guys out there a little bit of an idea of where I'm coming from, in college I studied communications, radio, and television with a minor in film studies. And so, you know, my background is more in the cinematography of the films, but as well I've been working tangentially in social work for a time, and so... You know, I've seen some of the effects of some of the disorders are, that are discussed in this film on, you know, specifically youths, but Katie has more experience with the whole gambit, I would say. Quite the gambit. Um, so, Welcome to Marwin, 
mostly deals with PTSD. I was thrown for a loop in this movie trying to figure out exactly what they were talking about. Um, they talked about World War II a ton, and here I am looking at this movie that's in this day and age. They're not saying that this happened when our parents were kids. They're not saying that this happened with Afghanistan war. They're talking about World War II and Nazis, yet this guy is acting like he has PTSD from serving in the war. Yeah, and he's, you know, comparatively a young guy, and this is a, this is a film, this is not a period piece, this is a modern day film, and it's not like Mary Poppins where I felt like I came out of it not necessarily feeling like it was a period piece. This was decidedly now that this was happening and so you know from the very beginning you're put into these weird shoes of this guy is dealing with some sort of mental uh break with reality uh seeing the way that he treats these dolls as the people that are in his life he you know projects their personalities onto these dolls to create his art that is a totally uh, fictitious retelling of events that happened in World War II era Nazi Germany. <laughs> there are just so many pieces to this movie, and the more and more I think about this movie, the more and more I remember about this movie. So as you're saying that, I'm thinking about how I thought it was funny that you said shoes, because there's a huge part of this movie that talks about shoes, and it comes out later in the movie that a lot of the issues he's having is because of a possible brain injury from getting beaten so badly that he says multiple times they beat the memories out of him. They then show how... Um, both on the television that he's seen, as well as in the courtroom, his uh, perpetrators have Nazi tattoos on their arms, and they have kind of the white skinhead look to them. Um, so it's a mixture of they have these views that they call him queer, is mm -hmm. the term they used in the movie, as well as, you know, he has this thought that they are Nazis, they are skinheads because of their tattoos and how they look. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's also really interesting when they he talks about the different people in this town that interact with him are the different dolls in his stories with the different personalities because they always talk about this other doll who is there and everyone's like, well, who is this other doll? And she's like, ah, he's always like, ah, that's the witch. And they're like, well, who's the witch? And then it comes in that he is taking these pills, and these pills are blue, and the witch has this blue sleeve. Um, and as a mental health person, I'm thinking, okay, this guy has mental health. I could see where the mental health is coming everywhere else. Blue pills, blue sleeve. She is somehow the medicine to him. But they don't really make that connection solidly anywhere in the movie. No one is ever like, the pills are him until the very end when he literally throws his bottle of pills down the drain and she disappears. Yeah, it's definitely deep in the movie when myself, who was not making this connection, I was understanding that he was not portraying an actual person that was in his life. 
but to me it seemed more like his like mental state because the whole portrayal of the witch character in his World War II story is that if any of the women of Marwyn, who are all of these women that are his support in the real world, if any of them get too close to him, then the witch will come and steal them away and make them disappear. And this is, we find out this is what happened to his wife, actually, and who half the name of the fictitious town that he created is named after Mar for Mark and Wen for Wendy, who was his wife, who, um, you know, left the picture soon after what happened. Was it soon after what happened to him or did she help him through right you know, after it happened and then left him? I wasn't even quite sure that they were ever actually married because in all of those pictures, it looked like the people were actually the dolls and there was all those question marks in the wedding pictures, was I married? Yeah, that's true. So it- I was never made clear whether they were actually married because Wendy is the bartender that night when he gets beat up. And mm-hmm. then they talk about how she moved on. No one ever mentioned him mentions him as her his wife mm-hmm. other than him in those pictures. And there's always those question marks. Yeah, that's true. But the other part of this that was like that makes this whole thing even more confusing and muddled is what's said about the memories being beaten out of his brain where he's not sure even if he, you know, there's a sketchbook and it has sketches of his, at least we're led to believe that they're sketches of his, but he's not even sure that they're his sketches because he can't remember anything before the incident. And then even beyond that, he can't seem to make his hand still enough to write his name, let alone be able to, you know, sketch these detailed um, portraits that he's created in the past. So that's another part of it that, like, I wasn't sure if maybe he was married to Wendy before the accident or, like Katie's saying, maybe they were just never married never even had a relationship except for the fact that she's the one who found him after you know the brutal beating that he received from these swastika clad punks so let's talk about nicole without an e what do you think about nicole without an e i thought a lot of things about nicole without an e are you talking about the doll or are you talking about the actual neighbor i would like to talk about the neighbor and her reactions to realizing she's a doll and his break of reality about what is going on with the doll and his doll and what is going on with him and his neighbor Yeah, so I thought it was really interesting, and I was honestly impressed with the way that Nicole, without an E, his next-door neighbor, handled a lot of the situations. Not every situation, but we can get to that in a minute. I thought that she did a really good job of not raising any red flags or getting too alarmed about anything that was happening with him. Having an understanding, like she knew about the incident that occurred to him and knew that he was dealing with the mental strain that came with 
that incident and he's coping with it the way that he is and she wasn't gonna try and insert herself into that despite the fact that he inserted her into it like she wasn't trying to force her way in to make him better and she wasn't trying to run away from him because he was unwell she just kind of took a middle ground and i have a lot of respect for the way that up until the last quarter of the movie the way that she was portrayed and acted in this film and i think that it was a good way for her to be but i'm curious what you think i think my heart broke for him when he straight up proposed to her and she got up off the couch and walked away yeah that was the moment well i would say like just before that because the fact that she was hearing out this story i think that Maybe she wasn't realizing how closely he was relating the dolls to real life. And that's the only way that I feel like the way that she, you know, let him kind of continue on to this point makes sense. I think that the fact that it went so far as to him literally being on his knee. And I mean, you can attest to this. I literally turned away from the screen because I'm not the person who's going to sit there through the cringe fest and just enjoy that. There's a lot of people that like that cringy feeling and I do not. And I was cringing and I was cringing for five minutes before he was down on his knee. I was turned away from the screen because she was at this point, I felt leading him on to a certain extent. She was seeing the pictures that he was taking of the doll version of him building a tea house for her and that's kind of her fantasy for her real life you know he was projecting himself onto this situation and she was letting this play out at this point i thought that was a little bit too much i thought everything up until that conversation she would handled really well and let him kind of cope in the way that he was going to cope but she I don't think there's any way that she couldn't have seen that coming. She would have had to have been way more naive than the character was made out to be. I think it's really interesting because they portray her in a way that is much more understanding than the average person, I think, to mental health. I totally agree. However, I do feel like they portray her as so many people who don't have a good understanding of mental health are just fumbling, trying to figure out how to best help those that are having some kind of struggle. Um, She is doing her best to accept him for what he is and not make any judgments. However, I do think she's enabling him to an extent in the middle and then towards the end, where she just completely cuts him off, where he shows a picture of them at their wedding, the dolls at the wedding, and she comes to his art show and is just like, I'm done. And without even saying hello, leaves. Yeah, they definitely made eye contact and she turns around and walks away. I think that she didn't know where he was at and that's hard for me to look back at and say that she did the right thing there. Like, if she had had a conversation with him, she could have realized that he was in a much better place, but there's no way that she knew that just from him being at his own art show. I do feel like, as, you know, taking this a step away from the movie and into real life, 
if this had happened in real life, the best way to go about it is always to approach the situation and see where the person who is having a struggle is at and meet them where they're at instead of just making your assumption from what you see based on the past. You have no idea. She has no idea what strides forward he has made, especially since he had a court hearing earlier that day. He had a huge life event earlier that day that he had to come to terms with before she even saw him. And I feel like she... It was a bad way for her to end the movie. I was pulling for her and how well she was handling everything. And then at the end, I was just like, man, Nicole, you really dropped the ball. Yeah, the only other thing that I would say is, outside of the context of a movie, if this was my friend coming to me saying this is the situation that she had found herself in with the man who lives across the street from her. My advice would be for her to go to the other people that she knows are supporting him and if she feels like she needs to walk out of this situation for her own well-being to go to those people who are going to continue to be in the situation and explain that to them because... For her to just walk away without saying anything seems just too harsh to me and, you know, worries me about that man's well-being. Especially with the whole, is was he married? Was he not married with Wendy? There wasn't closure there. They never tell us about the closure. And mind you, it's a movie. They don't have to tell us everything. You know that better than I do. But... She doesn't give him any closure. And people go to therapy for years to try to wrap their brains around closure that never happened. And all she had to do was have a conversation with the four other women in his life. Any of them. And she was friends with multiple of them. Could have just had a conversation and stepped more into the background. Yeah, so that's all that I was trying to get at, was outside of the context of the movie. I think that the movie, you know, we know where Mark stands at the end of the movie. He even, you know, this is the spoilery part of the podcast, he does ask Roberta to go on a date with him at the end of the movie. And so he's moved past a lot of what had been hounding him throughout the whole movie And so we know that and we can see that Nicole backing off is probably for the best for him, just from what we can infer. But like I said, the point that I was trying to bring up was like outside of the context of a movie, if someone was in this situation, you know, if you're out there, you have someone in your life who's dealing with mental illness and you're concerned that you don't necessarily want to be a part of their life anymore because you don't feel like it's good for your own well-being. You know, like Katie said, people go to therapy for years to figure out closure. You don't have any obligation to stay in their life, but at the same time, I think that it would be... someone in their life closure. Yeah, I think that it would be good to go to someone who's part of their support group and let them know that you're gonna be backing away just for your own well-being and they can help that person understand. You did it with me with Mary Poppins. I'm going to do it with you. As your least favorite movie of the weekend, what was your favorite part? My favorite part of Welcome to Marwin. 
I just feel like there was a lot that I liked about this movie. There were just moments that pulled me out of the experience. Can I talk about my favorite part? What do you think Yeah, why don't it? you talk about your favorite part, and then I'll just say my favorite part was your favorite part. <laughs> you should see her roll her eyes. Okay, so my favorite part, and it probably has a lot to do with the fact that I'm a social worker, is I loved how they portrayed PTSD and anxiety. It was so real. I feel like you don't really get that in other movies. You don't... They talk about how in war movies people have PTSD. So the most recent one that I could think of that pretty well portrayed it was Megan Levy, which is a great movie. Highly recommend it. But they really portray her going through PTSD and trying to figure out how to go back to real life after the war. He is not a war vet that we know of, just has this war piece to his PTSD coping. But they portray his anxiety and his PTSD from the different things that trigger his emotions. And they show his intense physical reactions and um, kind of like what that looks like and then what ends up bringing him back to reality. And I really loved how they showed all of that. Just hearing you talk about that made me realize that my favorite part of this movie was probably a big piece that we really didn't talk about very much is the reason that the main character, Mark, gets beaten up is because he's in a bar, he gets drunk, and these guys are... I can't even... Like, there's no explanation of why this is brought up, but they ask him if he wears women's clothes, and... He says, no, only the shoes. And that to them, just the fact that this guy wears high heel shoes, he's not even wearing high heel shoes at the time that he gets beat up, is enough for these bigoted guys to curb stomp him. I think it says a lot about a certain type of person. And I think that it's something that a lot of people aren't necessarily aware of in their lives. I think that there are a lot of people who grew up in environments that are extremely accepting, and I think that it's important to know, even if you're not experiencing it on a day basis, and I really hope that you're not, but to know that there are people out there who have these views and these mentalities, I think that that's just you know, the sad truth that comes out in this movie that a guy wearing high heels is what brings people to get so upset that they beat the shit out of them. That just is part of the sad reality that we live in, and I hope that we can get past that. I hope that everybody's able to get past that at some point. So, part of what Joey and I would like to do, we let you into our Saturday of watching three movies. Now we want to give you a sneak peek of what our day-to-day lives look like during the week. Sneak peek of the week. As you may have figured out, since we have the same last name, we are married. We what? are newlyweds as of a year and a half ago. No way. So this past week, I have been dealing with a cold, and I know everyone has their go-to sick movie or sick movies for me it is the harry potter movies so joey has been a great sport and has been putting up with me watching the harry potter series just tonight i finished harry potter and the half-blood prince 
and I'm looking forward to Harry Potter Camping Part 2. I jumped in with Katie to watch from when Dumbledore and Harry go into the cave to get the Horcrux to the end of the movie. So through Snape killing Dumbledore and Harry's realization that maybe Snape is evil, but Dumbledore trusted him and his guilt over the situation. Basically, um, he jumped into the movie, which is like the most emotionally draining part of the entire series for me. Um, as someone who grew up uh, with my elderly grandmother in our family home, um, when Dumbledore is in with the Horcrux and is like, Harry, I can't do it. Let me stop. And he's like, no, you told me to force you. My heart just went out to him and then he never recovered and he ended up getting killed. Just like the end of that movie is, it breaks my heart. And my husband was nice enough to join me without even realizing it. So Joey, what have you been doing this week? For me, the most recent most recent media that I finished was an anime called Log Horizon. It's all about a bunch of people who were playing a video game, getting trapped in that video game's world, and having to work together to create a new society uh, to work together in this new world. They come to a lot of interesting realizations, like all of the NPCs in the world have actually become real people with real lives. And, you know, another interesting realization that they come to is that those non-player characters are actually kind of more human than, you know, the adventurers or the players who have come to this world because they all have these superpowers. They can't die because when they die, they just get resurrected. And so, you know, all of these interesting mishaps occur because of this, where they have to work together with, uh, they call them the people of the land or the non-player characters to make a new society in this world. They're constantly in the background trying to figure out a way to get home to their original world you know it's just a really interesting show for anyone who's played a lot of video games especially video games where you're cooperating with other people online because you know they go from these people who are playing this game all the time to all of a sudden being stuck in this world and always playing the game and that it, it becomes their reality so, if you're into that sort of thing, this is a totally great show to watch, totally enjoyable, great humor, and a lot of emotional moments, too. Alright, guys, so that was a sneak peek of our week. We spent last Saturday at AMC using A-list stubs. We both got them for Christmas, and we are looking forward to three movies a week, every week. Or up to three movies a week, I should say. It's true. We might not get in three movies every week, but we're going to try our darndest to make this, you know, to get everything out of it. And we want to share this experience with you guys. So this is us. Peas in a pod cast. cast. Talk to you next week.